In Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, I'm going to read one verse here in Isaiah 7. Verse 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Look in chapter 8 and verse 8. And he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck. And the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of the land. Oh, Emmanuel. Verse 10. Take counsel together. And it shall come to naught, speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. Would you flip your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1. I'll read one more verse, and then you can be seated and we'll pray. Matthew chapter number 1, and verse number 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Just for a few minutes this morning, God being my helper, I want to preach on Emmanuel, God with us. Would you help us pray? Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this service that we're in right now. And thank you, Lord, for meeting with us and inhabiting the praises of your people. And Father, thank you for the good singing that's been done today. Thank you for the, uh, the worship of giving that's been done. Thank you for just the sacrifice of people being here this morning. Thank you for that. And Father, I pray, God, that you'd help me now as I try to preach the word of God. Help me preach with power notes of the Holy Spirit of God. Help me exalt you as high as I possibly can. And I pray that you draw all men unto you. God, I pray you'd draw the lost for salvation. I pray you draw the saved to a nearness and a closeness in their fellowship with you. I pray we'd see you high and lifted up this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing the word of God. I read a study that said uh, that Americans use over 38,000 miles of ribbon every year to wrap Christmas presents. 38,000 miles of ribbon. And those presents themselves are wrapped in, listen, 4 million tons of wrapping paper and gift bags. You got that 38,000 miles of ribbon, four, four million tons of wrapping paper and gift bag. And some of you husbands thinking, I think my wife does that on by herself. <laughs> it seems like we must like wrapping gifts. Or maybe we like unwrapping gifts. You know, a wrapped gift allows that recipient, the person we give that gift to, it allows them the joy of discovery. I mean, yeah, you could just hand the gift over. You could just hand it to them. But isn't it much more fun to, to watch them as they anticipate what's in the gift, what's underneath this paper, what's in the bag. And as they start unwrapping that gift and they discover what it is. Matter of fact, it's real fun when you put 
put the gift in a in a prank box, right? Uh, or you put a real small gift in, in a in a in a bunch of big big boxes and make them wrap unwrap all the way down. And the anticipation of unwrapping a gift. Well, you know, Christmas is the kind of gift that we can unwrap for our entire lifetime and still not discover God's infinite love. I mean, some of you have been hearing Christmas messages your entire life, and we won't disclose your age, but that's a very long life that you've heard the Christmas message. And you've heard it over and over and over again. It seems as if maybe each year I preach some type of series around the Christmas story. And as we unwrap this gift of Christmas, as we unwrap this story, as we unwrap this account of our Savior's birth, uh, it just seems like it gets deeper and deeper and deeper the further we go. Now, if we're not careful, we'll think of Christmas as an event, as only an event. And we'll think about it as we, and, and listen, it was an event. And what an event it was. I mean, Jesus came to earth over 2,000 years ago, born of a virgin, laid in a manger where, uh, where angels and shepherds worshiped him. It was an event. God came to earth. That's a big event. But it's a whole lot more than just an event in history. Christmas, I want to present to you beginning this morning, a Christmas is a gift. See, if you're not careful, Christmas gets consumed with all the details of planning, of shopping, of wrapping gifts for others. Matter of fact, I've said it before from the pulpit here, that in reality, the world loves this holiday just as much as the church does, I guess. They celebrate it much the same way. The world, listen, y'all remember that time where the media tried to get it all hopped up about whether you could say Merry Christmas or not? The world ain't worried about you saying Merry Christmas. They don't care. That's just as much as you saying God bless you when you sneeze. They don't care about you calling the Christmas tree or Christmas. Or, the world don't care about That was just the media trying to divide us again. You know, now y'all realize they got bigger fish to fry. Now they got bigger things to divide us on and you don't even hear nothing about that anymore. Because the world celebrates this holiday just like many of the church folk, many of the Christians. As a matter of fact, we've watched some Christmas movies this week and, and my kids have pointed out how surprising it has been in a secular Christmas movie that they're singing songs about the Savior. They said they both, in both situations, they were watching the movie and as the song was sung, and it would say something about Christ our Savior is born, both of them said, wow, I can't believe they sung that. Whoa, wow, that's a good song is what Maggie said to one of them. And uh, the, store, the, song, the and so, so they're singing songs about the Christ birth. And even though they celebrate the same, the, the, a lot of the same ways, they really don't know what they're celebrating. They're singing songs about someone they don't know. And even though that some of them would even say, okay, this does celebrate the birth of this Jesus fella, they would think of it, well, it's just like we celebrate the birth of George Washington or or some other uh, hero of the country or something like that. But if we're not careful, it'll, it'll consume us with all the planning, all the shopping, all the wrapping, school activities, work gatherings, church fellowships, family celebrations. And if we're not careful, the rush of Christmas will, and if we're not careful in the rush of Christmas, we will miss enjoying God's gift to us. 
In the next few weeks, I want to look at the gift of Christmas and what that gift really is to us and how through the gift of Christmas we can experience his presence and, and we can enjoy his peace and, and we can live with the joy of the Lord in our life. And so I want tonight, to this morning, begin by, by examining or by considering this baby in a manger. This baby in a manger, this baby in the manger, it represents the very presence of God. This baby that we put in this nativity, uh, this baby that is here as, as a legal figurine and as the baby that's there in the bigger figurine there out in the foyer, it represents, this is not just a little baby, a little normal baby, but this represents the very presence of God. Now we're not bowing down and worshiping this little figurine and we're not worshiping these statues up here. Oh, that little baby is the presence of God. Matthew chapter number 1 and verse 23, it said this, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And that's the presence tonight. I want to look at the Christmas gift of the presence of God. And when, 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 when the first Christmas took place and when Jesus came as a little baby in the manger in Bethlehem, it was the gift of the presence of God like it had ever never been before. I want to look at just a couple things. First of all, I want you to understand that the arrival of a new baby changes a lot of things, doesn't it? Arrival of a new baby, that tiny little human can change the dynamic of an entire family, doesn't it? That little baby gets here and life is altered for everybody. Everybody's life is now changed because there's a little human in the in the um in the house. It can't talk. It can't change itself. It can't feed itself. But it's a little dictator. And it dictates everything that you do. You catch yourself saying things you never say before. Doing things you never done before. It changes everything. But you know what I think about this? There is nothing that reminds us of the miracle of life like holding a little newborn baby. I mean, man, just in a few weeks, Miss Ariana, we're going to get to hold a little newborn baby that she is, her and, her and Jeremy has just thought about me so much, they're naming it after me and Brinley. I mean, Renly, I just like that name. I never heard of it before, but I like it. I mean, Will and Brinley put together, I like that name and their kid after their pastor. That's a joke, by the way, <laughs> for all legal purposes. <laughs> Amen. But just in a few weeks, Miss Ariana, we're going to hold that little baby. And I'm telling you, when you hold those precious little babies, there is just something about holding that thing that, that just reminds you of the miracle of life. How did that happen? Wow. This is amazing. But you know, but, but you know Jesus' birth was a miracle for another reason? See, see, it wasn't just his birth that was a miracle. But his conception was a miracle. I, I read, the first verse I read was Isaiah 7, 14. It's a prophecy. Uh, well, well, hundreds of years prior to Mary and Joseph being in a little town called Nazareth, prior to them being in a town called Bethlehem, prior to an angel showing up to Mary or Mary or, Mary or Joseph, there was a prophecy given and it said this, behold, a sign is going to be given. Now, modernists will say, and this is, I know I said this Wednesday for those that are here, but there was some that wasn't able to hear, so I'm going to say it again because you need to know your Bible. And you need to trust your Bible. Modernists will take that word virgin out of their Bibles. 
And they'll say that verse, that chapter uh, 7, verse 14, that word in Isaiah 7, 14 in the Hebrew, it should be translated young lady. And matter of fact, you know what? I'm not going to fight all about whether that word could mean young lady or not. And it might could. But you know what dictates what that word should be translated as? The context. The Bible says God's going to give you a sign, meaning a miracle. He's going to give you a wonder. He's going to give you something that has never happened before. And if he puts young lady there, is that a, mir- is that a sign? No. That's not extraordinary. Young ladies have babies all the time. Matter of fact, all of us probably got here because of a young lady having a baby. I don't know how old your mama was. My mama was young when she had me. Probably yours were too, young people. That's, the, that's why the joy, y'all grandparents talk about it all the time. Talking about that's why young people have babies and not us, right? And so a young lady having a baby is not a miracle, not a sign. Again, it's a sign, a miracle of birth. But her conceiving a baby, that duh, that happens all the time. But the sign that's going to be given by God is a virgin is going to conceive a little baby. See, because Jesus is God, he could not be conceived through the natural process as other men. See, there was a curse given. Matter of fact, there's two curses given. I'm just giving a little Bible study here. We're going to get to the preacher in just a minute. But number one, there's the curse of sin on Adam's race. And Adam has fallen, and now, because as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world... And death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. There's the sin curse because of Adam's sin and because of Adam's race. And now every descendant of Adam has that sin nature. Every descendant of Adam has the curse of sin in his life because he was born of Adam. That bloodline through from Adam all the way to now, whatever baby was just born a second ago, all of those babies, All of those people, including us, are born with the curse of sin in our lives. And the only way that Jesus can, the only way that the Savior can escape that curse is not to be born of a man. We be born of a woman. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. One of the very first prophecies given in the Bible. And God tells that woman there's going to be a seed of a woman. Again, I'm trying to give you some, some, uh, some assurance of your Bible. He didn't, mis, he didn't mistranslate that. They didn't mean to say the seed of a man. God said a seed of a woman. Why? Because there's going to come a virgin. A virgin's going to give birth to a baby. And that baby's going to escape the curse of sin that's placed on Adam's race. There's another curse that, that escape, he escapes too. It's got, it, that's good. That that's his, shows his deity, but shows his royalty uh, is the, the curse of Jeconi. And he's, a, he's, a, he's a way back in there on the line of David. And God said he would ne- his line would never, ever sit on the throne of David. And you look at Joseph's line, and guess what? Joseph comes from the line of Jeconi. But if you look at Mary's line, she don't come from the line of Jeconi. So if you look at it from the royalty side of things, he lines up. But if you look at it on the deity side of things, he lines up. And that's what really matters more than anything is that he is God. And because he is God, his conception had to take place like no other conception has ever took place. We find the story of that in Luke chapter 1 and verse 28. If you want to turn there and read with me. 
I, I preached these verses on, uh, on, on Wednesday night, but verse, eight, uh, verse 28 of chapter 1, it said, The angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, and the, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. This is the angel showing up to Mary. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. And shall, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Verse number 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel said in verse number 35, The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. In verse 37, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And so there we find one day in a small rundown town of Nazareth, a, a little young Hebrew girl received this surprise visitor. Mary was a young girl who was betrothed to a young man by the name of Joseph. And these two young people were preparing for their marriage. All of a sudden in the midst of their preparation their entire world changes forever. The angel Gabriel shows up to Mary unexpectedly. I said it on Wednesday, I'll say it again. I don't think she was praying for God to show up like that that night. I imagine she's probably just praying now, lay me down to sleep. I don't know what she's praying. But I guarantee she wasn't praying for that. All of a sudden, the angel shows up there. And, 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 he, and he shows up unexpectedly with an announcement that really is outrageous. You're going to have a baby. And that baby is going to be the son of God. And he's going to rule on the throne of David. That's outrageous. But it's even more outrageous because she says, I've not known a man. I, I, there's no way. Here's what he's saying. Mary, God's coming to earth and you're going to be the vessel God uses to carry him. God himself is taking on flesh. God himself is coming to live among us. And Mary, I'm going to use you to bring him to this world. Charles Spurgeon said this, He who never began to be but eternally existed began to be what he eternally was not and continued to be what he eternally was. Jesus came as a lowly little baby in the manger of Bethlehem, but when he came, came. That was God coming to earth. He's very man, but he's very God. He's 100% man, but he's 100% God. In Matthew's account, there's that quotation of Isaiah that that coming baby would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And I'm preaching today on God with us, and that's really good. But what does that mean? God with us. Number one, it means this. He understands us. Have you ever felt like God misunderstood you? Have you ever felt like God misunderstood the circumstances you were in? 
I think about that little boy who is playing basketball with his daddy. And as they're playing basketball, the dad's trying to show him how to shoot. Just shoot like this. Just do it like this. And as, he make, as the daddy makes that shot, the little boy looks up at him and he says, Yeah, dad, that's easy for you up there, but you don't know what it's like from down here. And how many times maybe do we think like that about God? It's easy for God to tell me what to do. And it's easy for God to tell me what I should be. But he don't know what it's like down here. He don't know the circumstances I'm going through. He don't know what I'm going through. But I say this, Emmanuel proves otherwise. Emmanuel tells a different story. God does know what it's like down here. God does know what you're going through in John chapter 1. One in verse 14, the Bible said, And the Word became flesh, or the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I say, I pull out that phrase, He dwelt among us. He knows what we're going through. He came in person, wrapped in a tiny human body, and He lived among us. He experienced life from our perspective. And through our limitation, he knows the trials we go through. He understands the pressures we feel. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Ever long for somebody just to understand what you're going through? Ever just long for somebody who've experienced what you are maybe going through now or what you have been through? Oh, Jesus is that someone. Jesus is the one who understands our troubles and he knows our trials. See, Jesus has experienced the pressures of life. He knows the pressures of living in a sin-cursed world. He felt all the human emotions. He felt rejection. He felt discouragement. He felt loss. He felt grief. He felt heartache. Thank God he felt joy. He felt encouragement. He felt victory. He knew the realities of living as a human. He knew the realities of being under government oppression. He felt the strain of poverty. Teaching on the humiliation of Christ just a couple weeks ago to our students in the high school and uh, I said something about Mary and Joseph being poor and one of the kids just said well how do we know that they were poor because couldn't a carpenter make a good bit of money I said well if you look at the sacrifice they gave when they came after the eighth day when they came to the temple there to give the sacrifice for the baby Jesus they gave a sacrifice of turtle doves that's the poor man's sacrifice See, if they were average, if they were even average income people, they would have given a goat or something like that. But, but they didn't have enough money for that. They had a turtle. To, they were poor. They under, he, so, so Jesus understood what it was like to grow up under government oppression. He understood what it was like to grow up in, in poverty. Christ understood what it was like to grow up, grow up in obscurity. And even, uh, even the popularity that he shared was not, was not welcome popularity. Right? I know there was crowds that loved him, but I mean, we talk about the feeding of the 5,000, but you know, there's a whole lot more people than 5,000 around town that didn't like him. There was a lot of them that was crying out, crucify him, and they never, and I understand there was some mixed in that crowd when they killed, when they cried, crucify him, that had been, a, had been part of the good crowds, but there's a bunch of them, they've been wanting to crucify him since day one. So he had a painful popularity, if you will. Our Lord ate, he had hunger. He thirsted, he drank, he slept, 
He walked. He talked. He interacted with people. He built relationships with people. Growing up, he cried. Growing up, he needed care. He grew up in, uh, he grew physically in stature, the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. He grew up. Here's, in short, what I'm trying to say to you this morning is that Jesus lived what we experience. He became one of us. And as a human, Christ knows what it's like for us down here. But as God, he can do something about it. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points like as we attempted like as we are, yet without sin. And so then the, the declaration after that, verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to, to help in time of need because he knows what we're going through. He can give grace and he can, can help, give help because he knows what it's like down here. He understands us, but not only that, he helps us, number two. He helps us. I think about Christmas and we can think about how it looks on the outside like the most wonderful time of the year. Now most of you that know me know me in a while that I just don't care nothing about this season. But uh, it's not because I had this awful childhood or I had this awful experience around Christmas. I just, I don't like, I don't like how fake it is, right? You know, it's like the Christmas list and my wife's asking about people that we hadn't seen Matter of fact, we didn't even see them last Christmas. They just showed up and grabbed the gift. We didn't even see them. I mean, the thing about, we was having the conversation of folks that wouldn't come to Thanksgiving at my mama's, but they're going to come to Christmas. I mean, it's like, well, yeah, you get presents involved, and they come. And so, so that kind of stuff just bothers me real bad, I guess. I'm just a grinch about it. I don't know. But, but, uh, but you look at the postcards. You look at the commercials, and you look at all the, 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 the stuff that's going around, I mean, as far as the, the movies, I mean, it just looks like Christmas, the most wonderful time of the year. It makes this season feel like it's a season of rest and a season of rejoicing, but for most people, reality is a little different than that. Some, for some people, this season's a reminder of loss that they've endured. There's many people that the thought of a loved one that's going to be here this Christmas. They were there last Christmas, but they're not there this Christmas. For some people, the pressures of financial burdens seem like they just get bigger in December, don't they? For some people, it's the tension between family that somehow has risen up this year. Now there's tension, and man, how's it going to be at Christmas? See, Christmas comes whether you're ready for it or not. Whether everything is like a Hallmark movie or not. Right? See, real people live real lives filled with loss and pain and brokenness. But that's why Jesus came. <laughs> that's why he came. See, when Jesus came, he didn't come to a perfect world. Matter of fact, Galatians 4 tells us it was in, in dueness of time. It was at the perfect time. Why was the perfect time? It wasn't because it was the best as far as good, righteous time. It was because it was so bad. It was so dark. It was so sin-cursed. It was so imperfect. It was the right time for him to come. See, he didn't come in the perfect setting. He came to this world steeped in sin. He came to a world riddled with discord and pain. He was born and began in poverty. He grew up under the strain of political oppression. Rome was ruling the day. But let us not forget that this is God we're talking about. Watch this. He didn't have to come 
This is God. He didn't have to get here. You didn't have no choice of your birth. You didn't have no choice in whether you got here or not. But he did. See, see he, he didn't have to endure this life. He did not have to. He did not have to walk as a man. He definitely did not have to give his life for our sin. Now understand, if we was going to be saved, he had to. But I'm saying he didn't have to. He could just let us go to hell. He could just let us live in that darkness. But he chose to come. <laughs> he chose to leave the splendor of heaven and come down and dwell amongst the filth of man. He chose to live with us, to know us, to love us. He chose to die for us. And now, he reminds us he's ready to help us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Listen, you never have to face another problem alone because he's with you. Romans 8, 31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? See, he's Emmanuel. Even in the midst of our darkest circumstances, G. Campbell Morgan said it like like this, what we do in the crisis always depends on whether we see the difficulties in the light of God or God in the shadow of difficulties. You've heard it said it like this. Stop telling your problem, uh, stop telling God how big your problems are and start telling your problems how big your God is. And G. Campbell Morgan said this. Stop looking at your problems in the stop looking at God in the shadow of your difficulties and start looking at your difficulties in the light of God's presence. He is there with us. He's there to help us. Listen, in the midst of our darkest circumstances. And listen, his presence wasn't just for Mary and Joseph and them shepherds that showed up. They worshiped him there, but it was for us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he had said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He said this, so that we may, be, may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. He is our help. Psalms 46 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I read a story. I read a story about King George, uh, King George the Sixth during World War II. And as the bombs were raging in uh, in Europe and in England, uh, King George and Queen Elizabeth, they didn't leave. They stayed back and uh, they, they would not leave. And um, one one newspaper reported that uh, King was he was inspect or he was inspecting a bombed out section of the city right after an air raid came in, and an elderly man recognized him as King, and that elderly and so as as they were looking through the debris and the rubble and all that kind of stuff, all of a sudden that elderly man looked at the King and he said, you, "You're here, you, you in the midst of all of this, you're here," and this is what he said. You're a good king. That's what he said about King George. And I thought about that. Emmanuel says the same thing to us about our king. That God choosing to wrap himself in helpless humanity. He come down in the rubble of our life. He came down in the debris of humanity. And he gave himself for our sin. He's a good king. He is a good king. He came to our darkness. He came to our hopelessness. He came as a very present help in time of need. 
He promised to never leave us. Even in our darkest hours, in your emptiest ruins, in the tangled events of your life, he will not leave you nor forsake you. He helps us. He understands us. But last thing I'm done, he changes us. See, the presence of God in our life and the presence of Christ in our life, it's more than just a stirring emotion, but it radically changes our lives. I said it earlier and y'all agree that a little baby in a home changes everything. It changes your whole life. And from the moment that Gabriel announced to Mary that she was going to have this baby to, to all the way to that little baby finally coming and that cry, that first cry, I know, talking about silent night and away in a manger, but he was fully human. I guarantee he cried in that manger, okay? I'm not trying to take away from your, your spiritual Christmas song and everything, but I guarantee it wasn't as silent. You ever been in the room with a baby? <laughs> Ain't nothing silent about it, right? And if it is silent, either they are asleep or they're in trouble, right? Anyway, I'm just picking at you. But to all the way to that point, his presence changed their life and the life of everybody. But watch this. It didn't stop there. It didn't stop in that little manger. As, the, the, as, long, as, as long as Christ was on this earth, the ministry that he had on this earth, he was changing lives. He was changing lives. He gave sight to the blind. He gave ears to the deaf. He gave, uh, he gave uh, words to the dumb. He gave legs to the lame. He gave healing to the lepers. He even gave life to the dead. Christ changes things. He fed the hungry. He comforted the afflicted. He had words of eternal life that he taught to them with authority. His life was full of grace and truth. His life was a life of compassion. He rebuked the proud and he forgave the repentant. He changed lives when he came through. Then ultimately, he changed lives by giving his life on the cross of Calvary. And he bore in his body the sins of the whole world. and rose again victorious over death, hell, and the grave three days later. Why? So he could change lives. So as you trust him as your Savior, you receive the gift of eternal life. He changes us from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says it best, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, our old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you've been in this thing any length of time, you've seen lives changed. If you're saved today, you've seen your life changed by the power of the gospel. And these changes don't always happen instantly. God help us to have patience with folk, right? These changes don't happen instantly. There's some things automatically that changes, right? I'm going from, from going from hell to heaven, that changes instantly. You know, lost to save, unbeliever to believer, that's instantly. There's a lot of stuff that's a process. And it begins to change us. He changes fear to courage and worry to trust and pride to humility, selfishness to love. Do you know what? It doesn't just stop on the day of salvation, but ever since he moved in, he is consistently and constantly changing me. He changes us. Emmanuel, God with us. And you read that, you can read that 3,000 years ago when Isaiah penned it down, it says God with us presently. And you read it 2,000 years ago when Matthew penned it down and it says this, God 
with us presently. And reading it this morning on December 10th of 2023, I'm reading it and it says, God with us, that's presently. I'm talking about the gift of God's present in your life. Do you know that gift? Do you have that gift this morning? The gift of one who can understand you? The, uh, the gift of one that can help you? The gift of one that can change you? The only comes from the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we are in this season, and we are, and we are, uh, there's the rush, and there's the stuff that goes on, and there's all the things we've got planned, and all that stuff, and, and as you do all that stuff you're doing, don't get lost in all the hustle bustle of the season, and forget the gift that was given not just to the world as a whole, and it was to the world as a whole, but to you individually. See, there's a lot of people that believe that Christ died for the sins of the world. And that he can change the world, but believing he can change me individually, personally. Don't forget the gift of Emmanuel, God with us. He understands your needs. He understands you. He's a very present help. See, Christmas is not about presents. It's about His presence. It's not about the gifts under the tree. But His presence is a present. Have you received it? Have you received the gift of Christmas? And I ask you this saved person. Are you forgetting the presence of Christ this Christmas? Already, just 10 days into the, the, the month, have you already lost the wonder of who Christ is in your life? Have you, ever, have you already lost the miracle of who Christ is in your life? Not just who he was the day you got saved. Thank God that you got saved. We've been rejoicing this morning not just because we got saved. We've been rejoicing this morning because we are presently saved. God with us. Do you know that you're saved this morning? And if you are saved, won't you thank him for being Emmanuel, God with us. Won't you thank him for being a God who understands. Won't you thank him for being a God who's a very present help in time of need. Won't you thank him for being a God who can change your life?